So our Torah portion is the last one of uh, this yearly cycle. <coughs> Finishing up here in the festival of Sukkot. Haksmeh Sukkot. And um, we're going to do, for the Haftor uh, portion, we're not going to do what the normal one is, which is normally uh, Joshua chapter 1. Um, but we're going to go to Second Chronicles and we're going to read about when uh, Solomon dedicated the temple uh, during the Feast of Sukkot. And then we're going to go up to John chapter 7, and we're going to read about when Yeshua went up to uh, the temple for the festival of Sukkot and what was going on there. And then depending on where we're at time-wise with things, we might look up some of the passages that he's relating to. Yeshua is when he's there at the temple um, during the water-pouring ceremony was what was going on that day. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But first, let's start out in our Torah portion, which is in Deuteronomy 33. If I can get there. Okay. <coughs> so most of this chapter consists of the blessings that uh, Moses says over the 12 tribes. Um, we're not actually going to get into all of that. that. That's its own study for another day. Um, and, but we're going to read the first few verses, and then we're going to read the last few verses in, in chapter 31. And then, um, and then we'll read chapter 34, where um, Moses dies at the end of it. Very sad. And uh, so it's kind of, it's interesting to me how, you know, you have the, the you know, the, the major books of the Torah, the books of the Torah, um, as they're strictly known, the five books where it goes, you know, Genesis through through Deuteronomy, and you start out with the beginning of creation all the way to the death of Moses. You know, it's such a, a bookend event, you know, before right before they go into the land. And, um, you know, you would think it would end, like, somewhere midpoint in Joshua when they're in the land, they've conquered everything, you know, and success, but it's not. It's at the death of Moses. And um, so I don't know what to make of that exactly. I'm sure there's some sort of spiritual allegory you could draw out of that, but I find it interesting either way. So, let's read here. 33 verse 1. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, Yehovah came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them and shined forth from Mount Paran. He came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thine hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Every one shall receive of thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. He was king in Yeshurun when the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel were gathered together. So he again kind of takes him very back to the beginning and... Um, uh, just kind of recaps everything real briefly before he's going to uh, bless the 12 tribes. But I find it interesting when it says at the end of verse 2 that he, uh, from his right hand, went a fiery law for them. I find that an interesting uh, phrase that we see there. 
And I think that it <coughs> is later referenced when it later on in the in the Bible where it talks about that the people of Israel were baptized with fire and with water. I think that this is what it was talking about is his law, this fiery law was what cleansed them and purified them and, and baptized them along with their passing through the Red Sea. And so then we're going to skip all the way after all the uh, blessings on the tribes. We're going to go to verse 26. Well, actually, I'm sorry, back up to verse 4. I wanted to say a little more. So Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. So this is our, that law, the Torah, what he just wrote, what he put in the side of the Ark of the Covenant, is the inheritance of Jacob, of God's people and those who choose to follow him and call themselves by their name. It's that thing which is passed down, which has the most meaning and value because that's really what is an inheritance is left it's that which is passed on to the children and and is to be passed continually passed down and so that's uh, that is our inheritance from god and he was king in yeshurun yeshurun is a um a term of endearment basically uh, uh in relation to the people of israel so 26 there is none like unto the god of yeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thine help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon the land of crown, I'm sorry, of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by Jehovah, the shield of thine help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. So he just kind of recaps it with the might and power of God. You know, who there is none like unto the God of Yeshurun, who rideth upon the heavens in thine help, and his excellency on the sky. The eternal God of thy refuge, underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before them, and shall say, destroy them. You know, that's our God. It's like, wow, that's so, I don't know. It's just such a, a cool picture. I always tend to picture um, when Elijah got taken up and the chariot of fire came down, you know. It's like, you know, there's God's might and power. And, you know, flashes like Ben-Hur go through my mind. But, like, you know, big scale in, in the heavens, you know. <clears throat> so Israel shall dwell alone in safety. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon the land of corn and wine. Also his heaven shall drop down dew. In other words, there'll be great fertility in the land. And happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by Jehovah, shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. Thine enemies shall be found liars. I love that. I like that phrase. It's like, you know, because the enemies of Israel always are slandering them and saying lies and terrible things. And, but in the end, they will be the ones found to be liars. And thou shalt tread upon their high places. So those places which they worship their gods and they serve uh, their deities, we will tread down. No longer shall Jerusalem be treaded down by our enemies and trampled on by the wicked and the heathen. Their high places will be tread upon and torn down. Whew. That'll be great. You know? That is our God, and that will happen. And 
And I love how this is kind of the bookend of the Torah because you have, through everything that Israel went through and all God brought them through and wars and famine, you know, here they are, they're going into the land. God's word is fulfilled. It does happen. His, his, it's not idle. It doesn't, uh, it, it, it produces fruit. You know, because just like it compares, the Bible compares his word to the rain being cast forth from the heavens out of the ground, and it produces fruit. It, it's just the way things happen. It can't help not the grass to grow. You know, that's because that's the way God designed it to function. And likewise with his word, he casts it forth and, and it produces fruit because that's how he created things to work. And he's trustworthy, you know, and we can rely on that. And we have all history, you know, our forefathers, <clears throat> everything that happens outside that declares the faithful trustworthiness of our God. And we can rely on that. <clears throat> and all others will be found liars before him, <clears throat> not his word. Okay, so... That's basically our Torah. Well, actually, let's read 34. This is sad. Moses dies. But it's okay. Uh, 34.1. And Moses went out from the plains of Moab unto the mountains of Nebo on top of Pisgah. That is over against Jericho. And Yehovah showed him all the land of Galad unto Dan. And all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea, the south, the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. Yehovah said unto him, this is the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of Yehovah, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of Yehovah. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, over against Bethor. But no man knoweth his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was an hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eyes was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of the weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him, as, uh, and did as Jehovah commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom Jehovah knew face to face. And all the signs and wonders which Jehovah sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and in all the mighty hand, and all and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. And thus Moses dies, and uh, God buries him, and he, you know it's <laughs> it's awesome and encouraging and amazing and oppressing kind of all at the same time, because you have this poor guy. <clears throat> who's born in slavery, you know, his mom chooses to try to save him, you know, so she sticks him in this basket in the reeds of the river so he doesn't float away, hoping that, you know, they, that he'll survive and to try to sneak down and feed him, <coughs> probably only twice a day, you know, but then gets found by uh, the princess of, of Pharaoh and, um, you know, grows up in Pharaoh's house and God has a plan for him and goes through all the crazy things that he goes through, you know, never once gets to go to the land, you know, but God used him for the, for the mightiest task really that we see, you know, in the Bible with, for his people. And, and there was not a prophet that arose since Moses, like Moses, who knew God face to face, you know, that had, 
you know, relationship with God. Nobody else had that. And, you know, why? I don't know. But God knew Moses and, and uh, knew he was the man for the job somehow. And, um, but Moses wasn't perfect. He, he sinned, and so he didn't get to go into the land. And, uh, but one day he'll be in the land, you know, with the last trunk, the resurrection. So there's Moses, and there is the conclusion of our Torah portion. And um, it starts again next week. So, All right, now, our Haftor portion. Um, and so I think it's really pertinent that all of this happens during the festival of Sukkot, right when they're about to go into the land, though, because Sukkot is the culmination of all the festivals, and, and it's a very celebratory festival, because, and it's seven days. Basically, you're thinking and praising God at the end of the harvest that he's provided fruit and food for you to survive and to live another day. So you're thanking him for that. And it was a festival when they, all the males, all the people would go down to Jerusalem and they would build their sukkahs there and they camp out everywhere. And it was one big giant festival and it was awesome. And so it also uh, looks forward to or is a type of, of the, um, the Messianic area, the millennial reign, where... Um, they will, you know, we will be back in the land where we're supposed to be. And so as the Torah ends with them on the threshold of going into the land, so we, you know, celebrating Sukkot are, you know, looking forward to that day, that threshold of when God will gather his people back together to, to be united for the cause, to rebuild his kingdom there in the land. And so ho- hopefully you're going to see uh, tied through uh, the Torah, half Torah portion and, and apostolic scriptures, that um, this theme of God's spirit, his presence, his people, his house, his land, all together, and what he's doing through and in all of that. So let's go up to Second um, Chronicles uh, chapter, um, well, we're going to start in 6. So Second Chronicles We're going to read a few passages. Uh, there's just great stuff in here, and we can't cover it all because it takes too long. But that's okay. <coughs> but basically, what's going on here? David's dead. You know, David didn't get to build the the, the temple. Solomon does. Um, Solomon gets it all built. Takes him something like twenty years to do it. Here they are finally consecrating it on the festival and during the festival of Sukkot of all times. And I don't think that's insignificant because we're told that we are living stones built together for the habitation of the Spirit of God, for the, of, of the house of God. And so he is shaping all of us, just like Moses' whole life as they're leading up to go into the land, the people were being shaped and formed and built together to be able to go in the land, to be able to do what they did, because if they went in the first time, it would have just been chaos, right? That's why I didn't let them in. So the second time, then they were ready to go in. And so, same thing, you know, David couldn't do it because it just, it wasn't for him to do. He was a man of war. But his son was able to build this house. Likewise, we are scattered in the exile. We're outside of the land, and just like Solomon cut up all these stones from outside the land to build the temple, and 
Uh, they were all cut together perfectly, so they just fit right in place. So we are being honed together, just like the people in the wilderness were being honed, to be able to be what they need to be to go into the land. And so that's what's happening. And that's also what we're going to read what Yeshua was doing. And so each time that happens, what I think you see is use these references to the Spirit of God working in his people. Moses laid his hands on Joshua because and received of the Spirit to be able to uh, fulfill the task that was ahead of him. What we're going to read here is God's presence after Solomon dedicates it fills the temple, you know, to serve the purpose of where they were in, in, in that house and in that land in Jerusalem and the culmination of, really culmination of the pinnacle of the kingdom uh, because it, it all went to H.E. double toothpicks basically with Solomon's son. And uh, was just went downhill from there. And then likewise, what we're going to read in John with, uh, they're all at Sukkot uh, for, the, for the temple, or uh, the temple for Sukkot. And then later at Pentecost, God's spirit and presence being poured out in his people for the task at hand to build his house, to build his kingdom. So that when he comes back, now that he's cleansed his people, through, you know, his blood, through, uh, uh, through baptism, through the blood of the Lamb in Egypt. Can you see all these parallels? Through uh, the Nile, the fiery law, the tribulation. They'll be ready for when he comes back. But he couldn't establish the kingdom then because it wasn't time for the kingdom to be established then, even though they asked them. And, and uh, oftentimes when, you know, they would ask him, when's the kingdom going to come to Israel? You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even address the topic. The first thing he usually said is, beware, let no one, nobody deceive you. It's like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? But he knew that that was the most important thing. Why? Because what does the Bible always tell us? Cling to the word of God. Because it's the only sure thing. You know, don't be led astray. Paul, uh, wool, grievous wolves will come in and not sparing the flock. You know, bad... Uh, leaders, you know, all these things. His word is the only trustworthy thing through the indwelling presence of his spirit that we can be built into what we're supposed to be. All right, so let's let's look at this. <coughs> okay. So we're going to start in verse 6, 37. So this is uh, Solomon praying. He's built the temple. He's praying now, basically asking God to bless what's going on. And, and, and I want to read this section because it's really pertinent to us here in our day and age because it's exactly what it is. Verse 37 of chapter 6. Yet if they bethink themselves... Uh, 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 back up, 36. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and now be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies, and they carry them away captive unto a land far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive, and turn... And pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we've done amiss, we've dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of that captivity, where they have carried themselves captive, and pray towards their land, thou which gavest unto their fathers, and toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from heaven, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause. Forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. 
Now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, and let thine eyes be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Yehovah God, in thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Yehovah God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Yehovah God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David thy servant. So, when Solomon made an end of praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of Yehovah filled the house. You know, it makes me think of like, again, Elijah, when fire came down and consumed the altar, it's just, you know, and, and so, and fire came down on top of Mount Sinai and the glory of God fills the place. You know, it, it's basically God's confirmation of his presence, you know, being being there. Because, because the, the ark had been moved from the tabernacle into the temple. And now that was his dwelling place that he had basically agreed to dwell with them. Originally, he wasn't going to. And Moses had to plead with them that he would. And he said, how can I dwell amongst you? You'll, you know, I'll, I'll devour you guys. And so he made provisions for the, to, for the people to be able to draw near unto him. And, and that's what the whole sacrificial processes, the tabernacle, the, te- the temple, the prophets, it's all showing how God's people can get back in the garden, can be back in his presence, can, can come forward to him, because you can't go there in your wicked state. And so that's why everything points to Yeshua. And that's why Yeshua says, you know, I am my father, I keep his word. You know, it's like droning on the same thing over again because trying to drive it in the thick heads of the people that... I am God, and I'm the only one you come back. Way you come back to me, only God. Then that's why the, it's, the the terms are used interchangeably with God, His salvation, Yeshua, His Son, and and His presence. They're all the same thing because only God can save His people. They can't save themselves, and that's why Yeshua had to die. You know, that's why. The sacrifices had to be done over and over and over again because they couldn't suffice. You know, they can't atone for a person's sin. It had to be something only God could do. You know, he could only make the covenant, only he can keep it. And that's why he has to change us supernaturally uh, from the inside out. And so we read in here how fire comes down and consumes the offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the house of Yehovah is filled. And, And so... <coughs> Can you see how all this is supposed to be is picturing and tying into the festival of Sukkot, where it's picturing the millennial reign when Yeshua will return and he will reign and his presence will be back and the wine and the corn will flow like whatever and uh, everything will be as it's supposed to be, you know. That's, what, that's why we celebrate this, and that's why we look forward to it. And it draws us back to what he did with his people when he drew them out of Egypt, and they dwelt in tents. In other words, that's, it calls us to remembrance. That's why we do these things, so that we remember what God did for us when he saved us from slavery, basically. You know, you're sleeping in tents this week, so you can remember that I saved you. And I provide for you. And you're my people. And I'm preparing you to come to my land to put my house with you to glorify my name. That's what he's doing. So, let's read a little bit. This is, this is, this is good stuff. Um, 
2, verse 2 of chapter 7. The priest could not enter in the house of Yehovah because the glory of Yehovah had filled the house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of Yehovah upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised Yehovah, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Now, skip down. Um, so he, he offers sacrifices, a bunch of different stuff. And skip down to verse 8. Also at the same time, Solomon kept the feast seven days. This is Sukkot. And all Israel with him, a very great congregation, from the entering in of Hamath unto the river Egypt. So the whole land, basically, you know, all the way down to the river Egypt. This is a little side note, but it's curious to me. I always picture Egypt, uh, I'm sorry, the Nile in Egypt. But really, if you follow the Nile, it goes all the way, 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 way down into Ethiopia. So I don't know, maybe that's all the land too. Who knows? Okay, so. Ba, 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 nine. Verse nine. In the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly. And they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. Uh, now skip down to verse 12. And Yehovah appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will hear their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attentive unto that prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen to sanctify this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. <laughs> Love that. Ah, it's so good. So well, this is a really famous passage, right? We hear it quoted all the time. You hear it on the radio, and you see it on the internet blog, and be like, you know, repent. You know, this shit, blah, blah, blah. It's talking about Israel. It's talking about the land. It's talking about his people. It's not talking about America. It's not talking about wherever the heck you live. You know, don't whip this verse, beautiful verse, out of context and apply it to whatever willy-nilly stupid thing you think it's okay to. You know, that's not okay. You have, because why? <laughs> the problem is you separate yourself from the people of God. And you separate yourself from Israel. And God has one group of people. He's only saved one group of people. But anybody can be a part of that people. You know, but instead we want to be a dry tree. A root bearing bitterness and gall and wormwood. Outside, adding drunkenness unto thirst. By saying, I walk in my own way and do my own thing. And God's going to heal my land. Because I, what I, blah, 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 blah. You know, no, he's not. That's not what the Bible says. Read your own stupid book. That's for reading. Right? I know. I mean, I, sweet mother of pearl. It's the only bo a book that I know of that nobody understands and reads the, the context around which it was written. You wouldn't read Shakespeare, or no one would 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 dispute with you that you can't understand Shakespeare outside of understanding he was living in England back and wherever the heck he was reading. When? You know? Or writing. Ah. Uh, anyway, that's another story. So, alright. So God 
you know, what I love about this is what he says is, my heart and my eyes will always be on the, my eyes will be open and my ears attended unto the prayer that is made in this place. For I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. You know, if that doesn't make you want to be there, I don't know what's, yeah. what's going to do it for you. You know? Let's go. You know, that's, that's, that's our land. It's our inheritance. You know, that's God's house. You know, there should be, there should be rights over there, you know, from the good people. <clears throat> yeah. So God appears to him, and he says, if they, you know, if they sin, because he knows they're going to sin and they're going to do wickedness, right? And they're going to they're gonna transgress. He understands that. But he makes provision wherever they're scattered. If they will humble themselves and turn and pray, he will hear their prayer from that place. That's why, that's why Yeshua was so ticked off when they, uh, when... Oh, no worries, man. <laughs> when um, they went, uh, when he went into the temple and he had the cat of nine tails or whip and everything, because they had made it into a den of thieves. You know, they turned it into everything it wasn't supposed to be. And he said, this house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Because that's what Solomon says. He says, if the stranger will come. All right. That was Elizabeth's husband. Oh, that's okay. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, so now let's uh, go. Let's, let's read 19, go to 19. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship then, then, then this is what he said, then, you know, it's as black or white. <laughs> Then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all nations. And that's exactly what it is today. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passes by so that he shall say, Why hath Yehovah done this unto his land and unto his house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook Yehovah, the God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on their gods, other gods, laid hold on other gods, worshiped them and served them. Therefore he hath brought all this evil upon them. Because they forsook Yehovah, their God. So that's why the mosque is there. That's why the mosque is there, yeah. You know? <coughs> <coughs> You know, it, it's it, it's the same, you know, the same thing. Recycled all over and all over and all over. <clears throat> but he's he's going to fix all that. And that's what the, all the words the prophets are. So, now. Uh, my notes I took, I never read them.
So what are the people supposed to do in this situation? They're supposed to humble themselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. So that's what we're supposed to do. That's our job, where we are right here. Okay, so now let's go <coughs> to let's go up to um, John chapter seven. We'll finish up there. This is Yeshua going up to the temple, and there's so much in here. It's oh, it's awesome. And um, okay, chapter seven, uh, verse one. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I, well, so let me give you a little background. So things are a little bit different now uh, at this time with uh, the Sukkot ceremony. Maybe not. I'm not sure what's been introduced. So people think, and they're not even sure if my research is correct when it exactly started. But eventually, they started doing a water drawing ceremony, and they would walk down to the pool of Shalom, if I'm correct, and they would bring it up. And they'd stand uh, in the temple and they just they pour it out on, on the ground. M- basically, um, this isn't really a new thought. That's what David did, remember, when his men went and got the, the water and they brought it back and he poured it out on the ground as an offering unto God. And so oftentimes, they would do it with uh, wine as well. And um, just like a sacrifice, you, you, if it was a physical thing, you'd burn it up. If it was a liquid, you'd pour it out and you it was a way of uh, giving it back unto God, basically saying, you know, you have given us water. And, and, and water specifically, especially in Israel, because it's an arid climate, it's only watered by the rain, which God sends. They were thanking God for, you know, all the harvest that they had, as well as the rain that fell to give them the water. And so they would do this water drain, so they would pour it out. And, and so it's not without biblical basis. So I don't know that it matters what they do, what we do during the festival of Sukkot, except for the things that are specifically outlined, build a sukkah, praise God, rejoice, eat. Um, because the Bible doesn't really tell us much else, really, what to do. And so to do a water drawing, so I don't think there's any problem with that. So, and obviously Yeshua didn't have a problem with it, so we know it's okay. So that's what's going on here, okay? So chapter 7 um, we're going to start in verse 1. After these things, Yeshua walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples may also see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Neither did his brethren believe in him. So he's up in Galilee, and this is like his family, basically. Or people that he knows, because... And they're basically kind of saying, oh, prove yourself to the world. And because they didn't believe him, who he was. Um, so Yeshua says, blah, 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 my time's not come yet. You go ahead, I'll come up later. So he goes up later. Um, 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Yeshua went up into the temple and taught. So this, this it's a big deal. They wanted to kill him. I mean, this is like 4th of July celebration. Down in D.C., I mean, you know, we're talking thousands of thousands of people going and doing this. And, and he and everybody about this time knew about him, knew what he was doing, uh, you know, and he was a real threat 
to the authority there. I mean, I wish, you know, we, we had a better way to picture the gravity of this. I mean, this is a big deal. It's huge. It'd be like him getting up, you know, and uh, drawing away popularity after himself instead of the president speaking, essentially. You know, this was, this was a big deal. So he gets up there. And the Jews marveled, verse, um, verse 15. The Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? In other words, he didn't go to our yeshivas and get, get taught everything. You know, how does he know this? You know, because they had to go through an extensive training period to, to uh, you know, know their, their, their books and their teachings, their oral teachings at the time. <clears throat> so Yeshua tells them how he knows. <laughs> 16, Yeshua answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, if you obey God, and if you obey God's commandments, it's easy to test whether what I'm saying is from God or not. And what I'm saying isn't anything new or different. It's coming straight from God. But they marvel at it. Why? Because at the time, you quoted your rabbi. You know, you and, and the same thing can go is in Judaism today in Orthodox sects that you know you quote your rabbi and this so so blah 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 twenty one nine says yada yada yada. You know they don't go to straight to the source really. They, are, they don't often quote the Bible. <laughs> so or if they do, it's some weird. Anyway, I'm not go off on that yet. Okay, eighteen. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory. That, uh, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. I mean, so that right there was a big shot across the bow. I mean, you're in the... That's like going to the Supreme Court with more as much popularity as them and, say, and, and giving this sermon, being like, don't you have a constitution? Yet none of you keep the constitution. You know, they would be rah, weeping and talk about weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. So, so shot shoots him across the bow. Then he just continues. He says, The people answered and said, You've got a devil. And they're like, Yeah, he's possessed. Get him out of here. You know, Who goes about to kill thee? And Yeshua answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and y'all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision. Not because of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law should not be broken, are ye angry with me because I made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So he gives them an illustration, basically, a Torah uh, il illustration of why their, their, um, their renderings of judgment w was corrupt and was a mess. So they had perverted the heart and the meaning and intention of the law so that they were actually transgressing the commandments because they didn't know the heart of their father, because they were not saved. And so <coughs> they would say, well, you can't heal someone on the Sabbath day because you're doing work, is what they right. just said. And that, that misses the whole point is what Yeshua is saying. So you're angry with me and want to kill me because I healed a man and he picked up his bed and he walked on the Sabbath day, which broke all of their commandments. But that's not 
what's towards it. And so that's why he's saying, if you know God's doctrine, you'll know that my doctrine is not of my own. It's from his word and that I am trustworthy. And you are the ones that don't keep the, the law and want to kill me, transgressing the law. So he's, he's flipping it all on their head and he's exposing their corrupt, wicked, Quarrel estate. So keep in mind, Sukkot, the water there, and so on. You know, going into the land, God giving His Spirit and presence. You know, keep all that in the back of your mind here as we go here through here. <coughs> uh, <coughs> Twenty-five. So then they're like, "Wait a minute!" They're starting to figure out who He is. Then some of them in, of Jerusalem. Then said some of them of Jerusalem. Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly and say nothing unto him. Do the ruler I love this. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Messiah? Yes, I think that they did. You know, so they're looking from the outside and seeing all this and thinking, wait a minute. Do they know he's the Messiah? Why? Because Who's the only person that could really threaten their authority and leadership? The Messiah. There's the only one who could take it away, right? Or supersede them. And he was. 27. How be it? We know this man whence he is. But when the Messiah cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then Yeshua cried in the temple as he taught. So Yeshua, I'm sure hearing this, it's just like, you know, about to blow, burst a blood vessel, cries in the temple saying, ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I'm not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. So he's saying, you know where I'm from, you know where I'm coming from, it's true, but you don't know him who sent me. You know, in other words, you don't know your father. And when, when the Bible uses that word know in this context, it's, it's an intimate relational term of a husband and a wife together. That's what they say. He's saying, you don't know God. 29, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him. But no man laid hands on him, because his hour is not yet come. And many people believed on him and said, when Messiah coming, will he do more miracles than, uh, than these which this man doeth? Then the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. They're like, okay, we got to get rid of this guy. He's making too much problem. Uh, 33, then Yeshua said unto them, Get a little while, I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. And ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And whither I am, thither ye cannot come. This is so interesting, where their, their thought process goes. Then some of the Jews said among themselves, Whither will he go that we won't be able to find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Yes, that's exactly what he does. You know, not physically, but he sends his messengers. He sends his spirit, right? Unto the dispersed of the Gentiles to gather back his people unto himself. And I just, it's just like, wow, it's so beautiful. So, 36 what, um, uh, 36, what manner of saying is this that he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, you, uh, thither you cannot come. So now, we're at the last day of Sukkot, which is uh, the great day of the feast. Um, and this is when they would do the water pouring ceremony. And so, they get to this point, they do the water pour, uh, pouring ceremony, and... Uh, <coughs> 
That's where your shoe stands up. So. There we go. Oh, yeah. Thank you. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. So, you know, we read this and we make it into a bumper sticker. You know, because, again, we don't understand the context of everything that was going on. Again, you got a picture. Everybody in Israel is here. They're all, yeah, thousands of people massing in the open square of the temple, which is a big area, watching. And this priest would stand up high so everybody could hear him and see him. And they would pour out this. And they'd be dancing around. They're shaking their lulavs and everything. I don't know that they had lulavs on but probably. And, uh, you know, why? Because they're thanking God that he's poured out his blessings to provide for them, to keep them alive. This water, these wells of salvation. And so... Yeshua says, he gets up, right? This is a big deal. Everybody's supposed to be poppers in the crowd watching the priests do their thing. So Yeshua stands up, you know, over there, a random dude pops up, you know, yelling. I was like, oh, who's this guy? So he gets up and he says in the last day, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now that's a really big deal. And I'm going to show you why. 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You couldn't have any more declaration that he was the Messiah. He was announcing himself to everybody in Israel of the faithful that would go down there in front of everybody. Out of me flows rivers of living water. So why is this important? It's because it's, uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given because the uh, Yeshua was not yet glorified. Forget about that right, right now. So, now, go to uh, Isaiah chapter 12. I'm trying to wrap this up here. It's really short, but we're going to read it. So, chapter 12, verse 1. In that day they shall say, O Yehovah, I will praise thee. Thou was angry with me, and thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Yehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. So there's Yeshua saying, you want salvation? You want to be uh, saved by me and, and be my people? Come to me, or out of me springs wells, living water. He that believeth that me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I mean, this was huge. He was basically pronouncing his authority as the Son of God, as God come down in flesh to save his people. At the pinnacle of the last day of the festival, you know, when everybody's there. You know, you can have any more distinct thing. Um, so he spoke, so again, now keep in mind the Spirit of God. So you had 
Moses about to go ready in the land. And our last Torah portion, the Spirit of God now is with Joshua to work out his working in his people. You had the temple when Solomon rebuilds it and the glory of God and his spirit fills it as the pinnacle of his uh, of the kingdom and his presence with his people. And now Yeshua, the presence of God, because keep in mind right now, the presence of God has left the, the, the temple a long time ago. There was no ark in this temple. So when Yeshua goes to the temple, the, very, the presence of God is entering into the temple. And so he was saying, you will receive from me this water, this spirit that will be poured out on you. Why? Because what did they say? Is he going into the dispersion of the Gentiles to gather the exiles? Yes, he is. And so his presence is going to be, and his spirit is going to be poured out on his people for this task at hand to rebuild his kingdom. And we're doing the same thing now still as we celebrate Sukkot and come to the end of this festival. Um, ah, just, to me, it's awesome. I, I don't know if you guys are going to sound about it, but I think it's great. There's other passages that talk about um, the Spirit of God being poured out like water. And so that's what was going on there with Yeshua. It's a big deal. So keep all these things in mind. You know, it's the Bible and everything that it says and does and talks about in these festivals. And it's, it's, it's all intricately enmeshed and related. And it's all tied together. It's not linear. It's everything's connected to everything everywhere. You know, pointing to Yeshua as our Savior. You know, because from the beginning, God's providing a way to save his people. Just like he killed slayed animals to clothe Adam and Eve with animal skins. So he laid down his own life to cover us, to be able to save us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day, for your word, for these passages, for... Um, festival of Sukkot and all that you do um, and how you teach us and how uh, you're, you're so clear and I thank you for that guide us with your Holy Spirit that you may build us into the perfect stone that we should be to be one day built back into your kingdom in the land for the kingdom is at hand as you said when you came and so I just thank you for these things and it's a good Shabbat and a good week in Yeshua's name Amen